Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined again by one half of the Nonsense Bazaar, Willow Truman. Willow, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. I'm so glad to be here. So excited to talk about Miss Niblet. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like. Bite into that cob. (laughs) This story is like so fantastic on so many levels because uh we're talking about a it's very rare that a witness is given page space in a ufo journal to tell their stories and i came across one i stumbled across one because like you know you you dig into the ufo journals and and you find all sorts of interesting stuff and uh I have come to love Canadian UFO report because the artwork in there is always like fantastic because you'll get full, these like full page splash, you know, splash pages of like art and stuff like that. And I came across a story uh, called I lived in a nest of UFOs by a woman named Bernice Niblett. I had never heard of her and I'm like digging into it. I was like, Oh, they just gave a witness like page space to tell their story. Like, this is so cool. So, you know, I, I noted it and I mentioned it to you and you, you seem like you really wanted it. Yeah. 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 I was quite interested. I'm like a nest of UFOs. Also niblet. I I'm a sucker for like, you know, a goofy name. <laughs> right. Yeah. Also, there's there's an indie artist named Scout Niblet, and her music's good. So I'm like, yeah, I go where the Niblet goes. <laughs> Gotta yeah. go. Gotta yeah. go where the Niblets are. You know, like and I'm, I'm glad I did because what an interesting story. It was printed in uh, Canadian UFO Report, Volume Two, Number Five, 1972 to 1973. It was. It, this is like a. It was a publication that was around for about a decade decade and a half i think it published like me you know at its peak it published like quarterly but generally it was kind of a once or twice a year whenever they could and um just like absolutely beautiful like there's a lot of great stuff in here like what's interesting is when you sometimes when you're looking for like the main story uh of a particular encounter you'll go to the resources that send you to the other resources and then um there's like a resource like canadian ufo report which nobody noted because i i don't think they sold a lot of copies and they're not easy to find but you there are pdf scans online and you can find like um there's a incident that i covered uh, earlier this year called the uh, bozak humanoid encounter in which this um it's a uh this guy he was driving home in wisconsin 
and he's coming around a corner. He ends up seeing this UFO, and inside this UFO is what looks like a fawn, just holding its hands up, like, "Hey, dude." It was I, a Bozak Horseman. <laughs> no, no, but Bozak that, that man. Yeah, like I would like. <laughs> I think the the creature in there totally could have been in Bojack, like for sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, like the interesting thing is, is like in these journals, like they actually put a picture of uh, Bozak himself, the guy. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's, it's weird that like most you know UFO publications don't do that. But like this story is just like wonderful. And um we're we're gonna we're gonna tell it in full because I think it it, it definitely sweet you know, deserves yeah, it. it it does and and like she she tells it in such a compelling way so uh we're gonna I'm gonna read we're gonna react to it and and we're just gonna have fun with this one because it's it's um, so great um so it begins uh I moved to a one room cabin on Keats Island October 1967. Since the cabin was meant for summer use only and hadn't been used much even then, there was a great deal to do to get ready for winter. When darkness came, I fell into my bunk dog-tired with hardly a glance out the window. The top bunk where I slept was alongside a window. I could look out, uh, I could look out of without raising my head. January 27th, the cold woke me at 6 a.m. It was still dark and stars were glittering like that's just fucking beautiful right there. Like I could picture this in my head. It, it's a just such a great cabin. Scene. Yeah. It, it, I would love to have a one room cabin in the right. woods just to retreat to like you had a big window you can look out of, look at the water, look at the stars. Very picturesque. Yes. Very picturesque. Uh, it's very like I can I can see it up in this area. Like I could picture this. Uh, myself and uh yeah it's so great um as i looked out at them a very bright white star moved into view from over the roof it made two wide spirals down zigzagged parallel to the earth a couple of times then stopped for about 10 minutes it then took off at a great speed turning yellow then pink as it faded in the distance it was very high during all of this. And Me when too. it took. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Uh, and when it took off going east over Bowen Island, it did not seem to be following the Earth's curvature, but to be going into space. This had to be a flying saucer or UFO. And I was delighted to have seen it. Okay. So she starts off. She's mm -hmm. happy about this. Yep. Okay. It, like in in an instant like this, I think it's it, because of the way that it's framed. It's a, it's a lot like seeing a meteor in the sky. Yeah, like, or a shooting star. You're yeah. happy about it. You're like, oh wow, I'm blessed. Yeah. And I remember, like, as a kid, TV programs would be like, oh, you, you might see a meteor once in your life, and I'm like. Are you kidding me? I've seen like at least 20 in my life. You know, all you got to do is go up, go outside, look up and, you know, on a consistent basis, you'll see them. They're there. A lot of people don't do that. No. She continues. I decided to keep a lookout from then on. The cabin was a perfect spot for watching on a rocky point about 65 feet above the water. 
The front window gave a view, a wide view of the sky, water and small islands about two miles away. To give a more complete picture, perhaps I should explain that most of the cabins were at Eastbourne, a good mile away. My cabin was a thousand feet from where the road ended and couldn't be seen from there because of a hump in the road. There was a, scat a scattering of tall firs and cedars to, to the right and left and up the steep rocky hill that rose directly behind the cabin. Near the top of this hill, there was a relatively flat, cleared space that once had been a church campground. From Labor Day to the end of May, I was the only resident on the west side of the island. Few visited their cottages because the government dock at Eastbourne was removed for the winter and the water supply pumps weren't in operation. The very next evening, January 28th, I saw another UFO from the front window. It traveled very slowly over the water from south to north, only a few hundred feet up. This one seemed to be a long, dark body with dim red and yellow lights at both ends. It weaved from side to side, stopping two or three times with its lights dimming almost out. It wasn't at all like the first one. I was delighted to see another so soon. Do you want me to read the next paragraph? Yeah, go ahead. Next afternoon, two men in neat dark coveralls came down the path to the cabin, saying they were hydro men and how surprised they were to find someone living here. They asked if I needed any help, which I did, as I had some new stovepipes I hadn't been able to put up myself because of all the elbows. While I held the pipes steady inside, one of the men got on the roof and added the new pipes. I could hear the man on the ground directing him, and the one on the roof would answer, Yes, master. When the pipes were together, I went out and told the man on the roof not to bother with the guy wires since I could fix them easily myself. He looked inquiringly at the man on the ground who told him to finish it. They then came in for tea. Yes, master. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to kink shame. Whatever, whatever they've got going on, those two guys, that's, that's their business. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, these, uh, these men are, are, are interesting uh, because um you're gonna find out later in this account that uh, there may be something fishy going on here. A, a mm. little something, a little fishy, you know. Also, when I first read this, I was like, "What is a hydro man? Like a, a, a water guy? What right. does that mean?" Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's what that hydro means. Hydro man. Never heard yeah. that in my life. No, like uh, you know, I assume it's kind of like somebody with the water department. You know, just kind of making sure that. Uh, um you know like it's all running smooth and stuff like that like i i couldn't really find any information on that because it was like an interest because it plays such an interesting part in the story and it's like um cool you have hydro men what do they yeah. do i know they work with water but hmm, i don't know <laughs> i have a theory about why they showed up to this cabin but i'll get i'll talk about it later yes excellent I asked what their work area was, and the boss said they checked wires from Powell River, which seemed a hell of a lot a, a long route for two men. And I said, and I said so. They in turn asked if I liked living here. 
did I go hunting and didn't I get frightened at times? Asked what there was to be afraid of, the men looked at one another before the boss finally answered, Oh, things. <laughs> um, okay. Right. right? It's just I like. I'm not comfortable with this line of questioning. I'm no. sure Bernice has a few weapons with her, though. Got like, it. Like, why are you asking me about? I mean, I guess you could ask it in a nice way, right? But also, yeah, it's just so weird to 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 you know say it like that. But <clears throat> yeah, don't you get frightened out here, living out here all by yourself, right, little girl? Right. Yeah. Although the men were friendly enough, they were a little stiff and just not the kind to discuss UFOs with, so I didn't mention them. After they left, nearly dark, I wondered how they knew anyone was here since the cabin couldn't be seen from the road and just barely from the water if you knew where to look. The stove was out when they arrived, so there was no smoke from the chimney. How did they know it was there? Dun, dun, dun. Unless they had maybe stayed there before. Right. Mm. Right. Which is curious. I, you know, yeah. maybe maybe they were coming out to, uh, you know, maybe uh, occupy a cabin here during the winter and seeing the stuff. You never know. I mean, mm-hmm. she said that nobody else really used it during the winter. Right. She had just moved in there. She had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, February 14th, from the window, another UFO in the early evening, traveling about the same path and speed as the second. That's a nice Valentine's Day. It is. Um, I, like, can UFOs themselves be Valentines? I think right. they can. What if it flew in like a heart path, you know? Right. A heart configuration. Exactly. Like... I think the UFOs can step up their Valentine's Day game. And I want to encourage that because I know aliens listen to this program. Why wouldn't they? Like, I assume. Yeah, they they totally are. Like, they're trying to. I bet you like this program is nostalgic to them. So they're just like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Jerry, he was such an idiot. But like he liked to mess with people. But like, yeah. 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 Like aliens, step up your Valentine's Day game. Endear yourselves. <laughs> February 17th. Woke about 6 a.m. Again, still dark, and saw one traveling inland over Keats from north to south. It was below the treetops most of the time as it went up the hill behind the cabin where it was lost to view. This was definitely a long, dark body with two or three yellow and red lights on each end. As with the others, the lights would dim to almost out now and then. I was feeling uneasy and less enthusiastic about seeing these things now. They were definitely interested in the ground and must be picking up things. Mm, Question mark. I just (laughs) might end up as a sample. Exclamation point. I recalled a TV interview I'd seen a few years back. An American couple claimed they had been taken inside a UFO and given a thorough physical examination. They were made to forget it all when set free, but hypnosis made them remember it again. 
Yeah, they're talking about Betty and Barney Hill there. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, this is 67, so it would have been two years ago. February 21st. I just walked to the front window. The sun was almost down. Sky and water were pink. Something about 60 feet above the water with frosted yellow lights at the side and a bright red one in the middle slid over from front left to my rocks, then back again without turning around. It slid up and back as if on a rail. My knees turned watery and my stomach filled with butterflies. I realized I'd seen several of those many, those same things many times, but through trees as I sleepily observed them from my bunk window. Because they were over water, I'd presumed they were boats, though I did wonder what kind of boats since they seemed to maneuver so easily and silently. They would go back and forth between the beach a little way left of the cabin and the point where my cabin was. As much daylight as there was, I didn't see the body of the machine, just the arrangement of lights. Those I'd seen from the bunk window had no discernible bodies either, but only what I took to be mast lights. The frosted yellow bulb seemed about grapefruit size and reflected nothing. Another thing I'd seen from my bunk the same time as those boats was a bright flash of light that occasionally appeared slightly above the ground between path and water. The ground was too rough and brambly for someone to be walking there at night as there first seemed to be, so I decided it was a momentary beam from one of the boats. My door was locked anyway, and I was too tired to care if someone was prowling around in the dark. Like, uh, I, I love how it's, you know, that rationalization. Um, trying it's to... It's a boat. Yeah. It's just a really fast boat, just popping here and there. And, and like, yeah. I, I tend to wonder, like, how, what, like, it had stuff, uh, had to have frozen over here. So it's like, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong on that. Like, it might be, like, there are, if it's a big enough you know body of water it might not freeze but um it's like yeah you gotta you you do what you can to kind of rationalize this and like and it kind of like there's that dichotomy of experiencing an experience and how it, it like after that experience you you know what it you know it was something strange but yeah you have you're to, like wow that was weird but during it, it yeah it's just happening right and then um every moment after that like you you've returned to normal and like this is kind of the um it, it's kind of like the same kind of sided reaction that you get when you do see something but like you know, when isolation is playing on you, like in this case, it's like, yeah, I don't want things to be too weird out here because, uh, you know, it's it's lonely as fuck. So, yeah, yeah, like I, I could see that, like, you know, taking over here. Um, but uh, I also imagine that she might be kind of bored out there, mm -hmm. you know, so this is also something to, like, amuse herself with over the months. Yeah, and and I think the thing too is like we don't get a lot of Bernice's backstory in terms of why she moved out there, but yeah, um, why she's like she's like I'm just gonna yeah. do a year of isolation, right? And uh, like in a place that it pr you probably shouldn't be during the winter because 
I can't imagine. Um, and I think she kind of makes note of this at some point that like, you know, the roads aren't exactly like paved that you can, you know, get out of there oh, yeah. easily. You know? She talks about how she had to carry water to the yeah. cabin. Right. Like, because there was no running water there and like how yeah. often she was scarce on supplies and had to like make supply runs every now and then, but it was difficult because of the walk and like, damn Bernice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like first and foremost, Bernice is a badass here. Like yes. she, she really just, you know, wanted to do it on her own like this. Like, and again, I don't know what her background was before this, but like, no, everything that I see here, like Bernice is a badass. So like, you know, that's another yeah. great aspect of the story. Like, you know, she's out there trying to get that, you know, stovepipe, you know, taken care of and, you know, doing what she can to so, like, survive. We're seeing these words printed on a page, right? Yep. That we got from the internet. Yep. But the origin of these words, they were first scribed by Bernice in this one room cabin, probably on a, like in a notebook or on a sheet of paper, yep. you know? So to be able to read them now, um, like 60 years later yep. is really cool. Mm-hmm. It is. Cause I'm just like imagining her hunched over like, yeah, it's 67, so she's not, like, by candlelight or anything, but who knows what the um, electricity out there is. Yeah. Who, who knows what that's like. So exactly. I just imagine her, like, hunched over. She's all bundled up, you know, just, like, scrawling it on in her little notebook. That's what yeah. we're reading here. Exactly. Like, again, what makes this so great? Um, after seeing the things slide up, and then away again it took some time to get over my fright curiosity finally made me brave enough to venture out to the edge of the rocks where i could get a wider unobstructed view on the other side of ragged island and more than half hidden by by it appeared to be a big boat well lit up with neon lights no binoculars unfortunately as i wondered why there Three balls of scintillating light flew up from it, yellow to amber. Hard to guess how big, maybe four feet in diameter. Eventually, there were five or six of them, some off to Bowen Island, others to Keats, Paisley, and other islands. I kept glancing behind me for fear one of the lights would get between me and the cabin, cutting off the retreat. The balls traveled slowly over treetops, dropping down amongst them or to the water's edge. Every once in a while, one would go back behind Ragged Island, although the bright ship had disappeared. Underwater? A tugboat rounded the corner quite close to shore, hauling a barge. Over the tug was one of the balls of light, and one over the barge as well. I wanted to share this sighting so badly with someone, it was tantalizing not to be able to yell at the tugboatmen to look. But it was making too much noise, and of course, no one was on deck anyway. The balls of light stayed with the tug only a matter of seconds before peeling off exactly together, one going to Bowen, the other to Paisley. Running back to the cabin, 
I locked the door. This was all too much. This was a nest of UFOs. Oh my God, it's the name of the... the, the. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if I could only tell someone about it. But I had no phone, and the public phone was in Eastbourne. Through all the dark where I might bump into something. How could I have been so blindly unobservant as to miss all this before? In moving to Keats, I had probably moved right into their midst from the beginning. Now I realized that the first star-like UFO had come closer not to just have a look at our planet. They knew George and his gang were somewhere, (laughs) somewhere in the area of Earth. The zigzagging may have been to locate their communications beam, then finding it stopped to talk. That's interesting to me. Like... Yeah, this idea that, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, like finding this uh, is like, I always find it interesting when when, like the assumptions of something otherworldly are made. Like, is there some kind of link to the point where people like are sensing something are kind of connected to something that they can kind of glean this intention or is this like human logic kind of playing out here and like well this is what i think they would have to be right because my human logic when i hear about this group of balls of light that like come up and then they sort of go their separate ways and all go off in different directions and then meet back up again and then go apart again in different directions. I'm thinking, oh, they're like surveilling different areas. Mm-hmm. You know, they're getting information from different locations and then getting together and yeah, putting that information together and then they go back out to their different locations. Yeah, exactly. Like they are gathering intel. They are Yeah, that's that's my human assumption. Yeah, yeah. and like I don't think she's that far off, but it's just like that logic to we have to get to this certain point before we can make communications. That's 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 pretty interesting, you know. Mm. Next day, I phoned people who had boats, one on Bowen Island and the other on the mainland and tried to get them to come over and see these things but the water was too rough to come over or they didn't have time or the real reason. They thought I was probably mistaken about the whole thing anyway. Must be some new kind of aircraft being tested, one man insisted. Still a good reason to go check it out. Right. And, you know, I live in an area that during the winter we get a lot of flybys from uh, the, the bases and, like, you know, jets Mm -hmm. sonic booming off my damn roof which is startling sometimes because it's literally it sounds like an explosion so yeah shit's wild gets wild um not knowing anyone at gibson's at the time i phoned the newspaper there and asked if they'd had any ufo reports a bored voice said not lately Mm. okay (laughs) (laughs) Mm. so you have had them just yeah just just not lately what's your definition of not lately like not in a few days not in a few weeks 
Right. Like, can we get some clarification on the uh, the time passage, please? Uh, that would be great. Um, mm-hmm. With restraint, I told him there were quite a few flying around here these nights, and he should send someone over to have a look. He wasn't interested and said I should get in uh, touch with Reverend Mr. Willis, who was also a caretaker of the Baptist camp on Keats. Having met the minister once, I thought he was the type of poo-poo. Such I thought he was the type to poo-poo such things, but found out too late that this was not the case. March 5th. There was no one else to turn to, so I walked over to the Baptist camp to see the Willises. I got there in time to see them pulling away from the dock on their way to the Gibsons. What about the RCMP? They might be interested. And there was a public phone at the dock. Knowing it would be easy for them to give me a brush off if I told them about UFOs over the phone, I told them instead that there were prowlers about, and would they please come over? On board the boat and under the cool gaze of the two young policemen, I felt rather foolish. To them, I'd be just a nutty woman seeing things. I heard much later that the RCMP had received several UFO reports, but these men didn't tell me about it to make me feel less foolish about mine. Since the UFOs usually didn't put in an appearance when there were boats in the immediate area, I asked the police to leave their boat at the Baptist camp and walk over. They said they would come the next evening. Late the next afternoon, I saw the police boat go by. They had apparently decided not to walk. They must have hung around during the evening, for I saw no UFO. A few days later, when I was on my way to Bowen Island in a water taxi, whoa, cool, the police (laughs) boat happened to be in the vicinity. They drew close to me and told me that that the flashing red light I saw was the buoy somewhere at the south end of Popham Island. It was not the time and place to argue about it. (laughs) For several nights, the weather was stormy, so I stayed inside, going, going the round of windows occasionally. Because our aircraft was grounded by poor weather, I expected theirs to be too. But it didn't seem to make any difference to them. There were lots of UFO reports on the air that winter, late 66 and early 67, was an invasion period. Seattle, Tacoma, and Vancouver, I remember especially. That's true. Uh, 66, 67 was a pretty big flap year. No Uh, kidding. Yeah, like uh you know it it, it it was such a big flap period that uh it generated a three-part series <laughs> for this podcast but uh at technically six parts if you if you're a patreon subscriber but like uh one thing that i didn't really get to cover even on the patreon is that in 67 there was a like kind of like a boom period for ufos uh in canada um, there were UFOs that were like following planes and like Manitoba and and stuff. And like there was a lot of stuff happening in Vancouver and, and, and all over the place, really. And the year after that, 68, there's um, they kind of had their giant uh, humanoid wave that I need to cover at some point. Um, uh, just like a ton of different sightings of humanoids uh you know we had a similar kind of situation in uh the states in 1973 but like 
Canada was pretty busy. Uh, they had busy skies with, with strange stuff in 66, 67, and 68. So, um, yeah, it, it, invasion period sounds right. Because yeah. it just yeah. it, it just seemed like, you know, UFOs are like, fuck it. Um, like we're we're done. And like, you know, this is this is the time period basically where like and uh, like the reporting conditions were good because the press finally got tired of the Air Force and their like, you know, easy shrug off of different types of uh, you know, sightings and stuff like that, and they began to question things. So it was a little, little more open period. Uh, for reporting so like yeah that's pretty accurate you know um yeah it's too bad the police wouldn't help her out or anything yeah but i uh, mean you know what are they gonna do shoot at it it, yeah uh we did an episode about that not recommended that you shoot at them uh yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's not gonna end well for you And, and in a lot of cases it didn't uh they got some pretty heavy kind of machinery on there so Around 10 o'clock on one of those blustery nights, I heard a sound like an enraged hornet approaching. It seemed to hover close over the cabin, move away, then back again. The sound of a large hornet flying round is enough to give anyone goose pimples. Combined with a stormy night, it was almost too much. When it seemed overhead, my eyes were riveted to the ceiling, expecting something to come boring through the roof. I was too frightened to even take a peek out the window at it. For at least two weeks, that hornet was around, but at a distance. It was a bright white ball, as far as I could make it out, and it went back and forth in a small area in front of Ragged Island. Sometimes it flew to an area in front of the beach to go back and forth there. That stormy night, I first heard it. It was probably that stormy night I first heard it. It was probably over the water and not overhead, as I thought. It surely must have been taking something from the ground under the water to stay in those same spots so long. Huh? That's that's interesting. That's an interesting um, thing to to gather. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, what is it taking from underneath, uh, from under the water? Right. uh, Because uh, I think what's interesting is, like, she always goes back to the water in many ways. As like, you know, this is kind of like USO kind of stuff, like uh, somehow it may be coming from there, like uh, maybe the um, maybe whatever this thing is, it it came from high above like the first time, but like it's kind of made its home in the water and it's kind of it can keep itself hidden and such, which like is an interesting like it, yeah. it's very interesting how she got to that, you know. Kind well, of, being uh, on a small island is scary too. Like you're just surrounded mm-hmm. by water. What if you have an emergency? So, I mean, technically, we every single person on the planet lives on an island. Just some are a lot bigger than other ones, right? So to be on a tiny one, that's that's pretty scary. Yeah, it is. It is really scary. the The sound of hornets is pretty. It. I'm not going to say it's like 100% common, but a lot of witnesses will say uh, the UFO sounded like a swarm of bees. So, Hmm. like, yeah, it's uh, like that kind of like. I think it's like a staticky hum because it reminds me 
of the buzz people describe when they go right into astral projection, like when they're mm-hmm. right about to go out of their body, they also hear that like loud buzzing sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, which is interesting. Cause it's like, well, and, and in like on one of the last episodes, yeah, the last episode that I did, I, talked about like the bigfoot smell as not being a product of the bigfoot itself but of the means through which it travels to where it goes so you know bigfoot has stinky portals so what if portal stinky portals and in this case we have uh ufos they come through and like um they they make this buzzing sound so um it you know maybe they're only they're only able to come through for a period of time and like the byproduct of that is hearing this really weird sound so like yeah fascinating right uh a corridor of trees had been cut from andy's beach to the old campgrounds on the hill above many times one or two kettle type ufos would go up there from over the beach flying low Flying lower than the tree, than the treetops. These kettles might have been around twenty feet wide, had a rather high dome and narrow rim. I could usually make out a thing like an aerial, as well as a yellow light on top. A green light was about halfway down, a red, and three or four yellowish lights across the bottom. They always traveled rather slowly and when they got to the old campground, would drop straight down as if landing. Because of land uh, conformation and underbrush, they would be lost to sight when they, when and if they did. I never saw them taking off again from the campground, although I watched for half an hour or more a couple of times to see how long they stayed there. Daytime, I often went up to look around, the thick mat of wet leaves was a bit scuffed here and there, and there were holes an inch or so wide punched in. One set made a perfect square of about three feet, but there were a lot of deer around, and I wasn't sure that deer and possibly mice had not made these scuffs and holes. What I was really hoping for was an object they might accidentally have dropped, but I guess they're not too careless. I also looked for digging, burning, or some unusual disturbance in the area to give some idea what they were doing, what they were doing up there so long, but noticed nothing. The woods beyond were gray and uninviting, so I must admit I didn't do much exploring there. Strangely, the other kinds of UFOs didn't go up there as far as I know, except possibly the long one I mentioned earlier. From what I've seen, it seems to me that all the different UFOs performed some special function or did some specific job. I like that's interesting to me. I mean, I it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. I can see like where she got that deduction from. Right. And like it it seems in this case, like there's a clear delineation of function form and kind of task at hand like you see these little balls of light they're going out they're exploring they're doing certain things there's some craft that she claims are you know going underwater and and, you know coming back with 
certain things. Like she's rationalizing it in such a way that these UFOs are not are not piloted by Mm -hmm. aliens, but are the aliens. That's what it seems like to me. It's a theory that's been around for a long time. It's a theory that Charles Fort, um, you know, messed around with in uh, the 1920s. It's what Kenneth Arnold came to believe UFOs were. He came to believe that they were, you know, living beings. Um, And that was one thing that um, there was an interview that he did with a local newspaper in Minnesota. And that was one of the things he talked about is that, you know, these, these are living objects. And it's kind of one of those obscure theories that just kind of bandies about. And, you know, until now. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there are some cases that kind of suggest that maybe like the UFO is an, an animal of some kind. So like, I, I, I dig, I dig on this, uh, this theory a bit and, and I dig on her kind of thought process here this is like again this is why i love this story so much is like her you know isolated and coming to these you know like thoughts and and feelings on what she's seeing and um like yeah it's just such a great story (laughs) yeah i mean she's pretty isolated out there she is isolated out there And these things, it feels like they're making contact with her, even though she doesn't really know if they can see her or not. Right. She just knows that she can see them. And yet I think that she does have this sense that they are meant for her to see because everyone else that she tells about it or tries to get over and come see them, it's it's not panning out for her. She has yet to talk to another person to confirm her story. So it's kind of just like her and these and these ships or these UFOs, these things in the sky. Yeah, I can't even put it into words right now, but it's just like Yeah, she doesn't have a phone either. No. You know? No. It's just her and her imagination and like mm-hmm. it's probably a lot of animals out there, but maybe not actually. Exactly. It's really cold out. Exactly. Know? And like in that in that realm of thought this is like an animal coming in to check on what is out here. Cause say like, like for like, Nope, for instance, it's kind of like that in that this is like an animal, maybe like kind of not territorial in the sense that it's going to, you know, eat, you know, Bernice in this case, but it is territorial in, in the fact, in the way that it's like exploring its surroundings, exploring what's here and, and like going in and trying to figure out, you know, why is this person here right now? Like nobody should be here. Why is this person here? This is strange. The white balls definitely seem like they're like scouts of some kind. Like they're Mm -hmm. going out to record information or like see who's in this house or who's in this location. Like the white balls seem a little bit more like down to earth, like a little bit lower, like it's interesting how each of these different um, UFOs that she describes that, do kind of have their own MO, their own path, their own personality, their own yes. light patterns. Yep. Yeah. And like, and that's the way that she's framing it. So that's the way that we get to look at it through. And like that perspective is so kind of unique and rare that it's a joy to actually read. 
Yeah. Um, uh, one night, as I was standing out on the rocks, one of these kettle UFOs stopped to one side just above the tall trees. Instead of a green light, there was a not very bright white light in its place, and it seemed to be pointed right at me. The machine tilted down in my direction also. Daringly, I blinked my flashlight at it. There was no answering blink. It made them seem unfriendly or terribly impersonable, impersonal, which frightened me considerably and made me run back into the cabin and lock myself. Like Rejected. That, yeah. <laughs> and, Damn. And like that hurts. It does hurt, but it's also like it's a UFO. It may not even understand you, but right. maybe it does. Like, or it might not but, have been looking at you. It might not have the capability to respond. I don't know. Yeah. Right. At least not in the same fashion that she's trying to communicate with it. Right. Exactly. And yeah. And and like that that is a a person who is desperate, kind of for like any kind of meaningful contact which is like yeah yeah you can feel that in you know the way she's talking about these and then and then the way that she is trying to kind of deal with the situation at hand and like they're not human but like how do I how do I get them to react in, in in some meaningful way that I can take something away and like I I it's totally commendable I I it's like it feels like someone who um watches a lot of someone's YouTube channel like they're a fan and mm-hmm. they leave a bunch of comments hoping to be noticed that's like her yes. with these UFOs it's like you, there's a ton of people in the area maybe they don't even notice her yeah but she's like, like notice me I'm your fan ex- exactly <laughs> uh. So, like, uh, part of uh, one of the reasons why I am not, like, famous on TikTok, but one of the reasons I had a TikTok blow up is because I own, uh, like, one of the earliest CDs that um, Lana Del Rey ever made. Yeah. Uh, Because she, you know, she used to live up in my neck of the woods, and she recorded, like, uh, some demos up here. And, um there was one time I left a comment on her Facebook page saying, Hey, I think I was the first person to buy this. Like, Holy crap. I totally remember that. She responded and I'm like, Oh wow. That's, that's kind of what this is. (laughs) Yeah. 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 She just, she wants a reply. She does. She's she's the UFO fan girl. Although like now she's becoming embittered. Right. She is. <laughs> she's kind of internalizing it as like fear now because the courtesy hasn't been shown back to her. Like, and you can kind of see that in certain certain people in the way that they kind of um, react and and stuff like that to other people. It's like when the situation doesn't turn out the way that you want it to they start to be get get a little bitter or scared or or something like that and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh like this is a this is a a like kind of gentle reminder that um 
don't read into things too much on the internet, especially when it comes to social media, because once <laughs> yes. you do that, you you go down this ugly path where like you think that someone really hates you when the, the truth of the matter is like the language that we use to communicate with each other using our voices is slightly different than the language we use to um, uh, like text out anything. Right. Uh, Even human to human communication yeah. is difficult. So yes. trying to communicate with another worldly being up in the sky, it's quite the task. Yes. Yeah. And it is, uh, you know, a situation where like again that desperation comes into play where you're you're trying for to find some meaningful contact with somebody right. and also how many people if you went out to british columbia on a tiny mm-hmm. island in a one room cabin right and you spent 6 months there you think you're going to see any ufos and by the way no phone no internet right like, like I bet you will. Right. Your your chances are high. Like you're in a place where there isn't a lot of light pollution. You're in a place where like, you know, it's just isolated. You're going to you're going to see things. You know, if you look up, you go outside, you look up long enough, you're bound to see something. And like in this case, something saw her and took an interest. Although like We'll we'll get to like you know the stuff at the end of it. I think like this is. I almost feel like this is a vacation home for these UFOs. Like they do I think seem, so, yeah, yeah. Like, like what it, are you doing in, in our spot? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we usually hang out here, but okay. Yeah. Um. Another night, as I watched outside, a bright flashing red light came from the south, following the shoreline. It was about the same height above the water as I was standing, 60 to 65 feet. Passing a few yards out in front of me, it suddenly turned in and went down a short distance to my left. There was a distinct thump, but it was was, uh, of sight. Then came humming, buzzing sounds in short bursts. I could easily have gone down the rocks the short distance required to look around the bushes and possibly see what they were doing, but was afraid they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't like it. Even back in the cabin, I could hear the humming buzzes it was making. Hmm. It's like, you know, if they're loud enough for you to hear them, Mm -hmm. it probably wouldn't be too outrageous to go get up and and see what they're up to. I mean, it's not like they're really trying to hide or anything. So it's this assumption that they might not like it, that, you know, it's almost like a a kid, like getting out of bed at night when you're not supposed to be up getting a snack. So you got to tiptoe. She doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want to risk it. Right. Yeah. And like, at the same time, I'm kind of, I find it kind of interesting that she doesn't see the buzzing as a form of communication because Uh you would think that maybe that is the way that they do communicate. Like she's heard these buzzes on more than one occasion. It's kind of a regular thing. So, you know, maybe that's a, a maybe that's way the go which, ahead signal. It's right. like, come here. Exactly. Like, Hey, come on out. We'll, we'll have yeah. a, we'll have a little chat. But um, yeah, it's just like, 
the the um her line of thinking is so kind of refreshing in a way when you from her honesty read, is refreshing yeah it really is because like when you read kind of most ufo reports there's kind of this you know natural logic that's within them minus the cases that are so absurd that they're like not like too good to be true and yet they seem like very true like this kind of mm-hmm. fits into that category and uh it's just like being inside someone's head like that and seeing the conclusions that they come to and like how kind of wonderful and refreshing that is is is, is a joy it really is yeah Next day, I went to look at the rocks where I presumed it had been. They were covered with a thick mat of moss, and two chunks of about a foot each had been knocked off. The drill holes I thoroughly expected to find were not visible to me. Either they covered their work up exceedingly well, or I was blind to anything that might have been unusual in the rocks. So that's the second time that she's gone out during the day to check what she's seen and mm-hmm. she's like i don't really i can't really tell if there's anything or not right like this is a this is Don't a go test. Out at night yeah this is this is a test like this is a test of your will to go outside and see these things on their kind of time s- schedule their time the time that they have uh and, and show up and and do this stuff and like it's it's this nervous dance. I uh, mm-hmm. like because she wants to see something, but she mm-hmm. just only will venture out during the day. Yeah, um, I was on um, my buddy Spencer's podcast. Dang, that's weird. Talking about um, my lizard person experience, and one of the analogies that I came up with, and I probably didn't like come like present it in the best way is like it kind of feels like that middle school dance where uh, like all of the guys are too nervous to ask the girls to dance so they kind of like pussyfoot around it a little bit and they you know like try to do it without like directly asking them to dance with them this is what this kind of feels like you know back and forth (laughs) yeah totally At the beginning of March, I moved my sleeping bag to the long table by the front window so I'd have a chance to catch what might be going on later that night. I woke up to see a luminous golf ball-sized light moving three to four feet above the path directly in front. I thought it was a deer with something phosphorescent on its tail. I shone the flashlight out of the window, but there was nothing to be seen. A night or two later, I woke again to see the golf ball light, this time out the back window. I presumed it was outside until it moved beyond the window to the end of the room. It then went past the window again to the other end of the room, then back to the window and out. The window was open but screened. During its trip, I turned on the electric light, but it wasn't visible with the light on. I was more annoyed than frightened to see that thing in the cabin, for I felt like it was some kind of snooping device and (laughs) angrily thought they could have found out what they wanted by less scary means. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. like now you're invading my personal space do you, yeah. do you mind exactly like 
they're yeah. they're showing themselves inside now they're again this this curious kind of back and forth of like you know of curiosity and and this thing just kind of you know moves in moves out and it's just like look i get it maybe maybe we can meet on such a like it's this is so fucking human it's so great yeah (laughs) as the weeks passed by i began to feel the ufos weren't going to hurt me so i got up the courage to sit under the veranda of the vacant cabin next to mine overhanging the steep bank in front of the left-hand beach I wanted to see why so many of the UFOs appeared to be going there and establish myself under the veranda well before dark in hopes they wouldn't know I was there, like like she's hiding from them. Right. If I just sit here for a really long time, they won't know that I'm here. Nope. Before full dark, three UFOs rose up behind Ragged Island with a few, minute, a few minutes interval between each one. About halfway to the beach, they turned right or left and did not come all the way over at all. I got a fairly good look at the small red flasher as it passed to the left, faintly outlined against the still light sky. Crazy as it seems, the body looked like a big barrel with its stubby wings like rounded ears. There was a bright flashing red light about the size of a car headlamp in the middle. It rode tilted forward and rolled a little from side to side as if the red light was what it saw by. There were no other lights. Another coming up, yeah. Like, again, like, such a human perspective on, like, you know, kind of attributing aspects to it, like, oh, this red light's kind of like an eye, and this is how it uses to to see things. Like, it's just such a, like, like, wings, like, rounded ears. Mm -hmm. So, so wonderful. Yeah, they seem to be coming up out of some like either mm-hmm. she notices them when they're already in the sky, but this time she says she she sees them come up. Right. Huh. Another coming up from behind Ragged Island was like spinning pink steam. A reflection of the pink sunset, no doubt. When it got above the dark trees of the island behind, I could no longer see it. A little later, a big white light, like the hornet, but making no sound, flew over with an up-and-down motion the way some small birds fly. It didn't come all the way to the beach either and disappeared somewhere to the right. Time dragged on as it got darker and darker. My nerves were all keyed up for something to happen, but nothing did. Of course, on the night that she sits there and waits for hours, nothing happens. (laughs) Right. Although, I mean, she did kind of see the outline of the of the red flasher, though. So yeah. there was that. Yeah. My cabin seemed to be farther away in the black night, and I began to get spooked. As I was deserting the watch, I glanced up at the veranda I'd been sitting under. A foot or so above the railing was the golf ball light. I shone the flashlight at it. Nothing. Light out. There it was, unmoving. So light on, gone. Light <laughs> off, there it is. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Just uh, uh like the this back and forth. It's just yeah. Like I can see why she feels like they're communicating. I mean, this thing yeah. one of them came in her house, so now it's right. kind of you know. Mm-hmm. 
And again, it might be totally indifferent to her. It might just sort of be floating through, but then it, it went back and forth between the end of the room and the other, which to me, again, it feels like sort of this mapping device. Yeah. Maybe like it's scanning the, the house or something. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, that's kind of how it, um, it's kind of how it sees, like it, it has to, um, kind of take in everything at once. And like, that's, that's how it, uh, it sees everything. And like, it's just like, it, it also just kind of seems like, Hey, I'm in here. You're not supposed to be here. Nobody's ever here. What is yeah. this madness? <laughs> Yeah. One clear evening as I stood out on the rocks, no UFO was around, apparently because a tug was between Ragged and Paisley. It was turning a very large boom around. A point of interest about the tug was that one of its mast lights kept blinking in an irregular pattern, a most unusual kind of circuit, if that's what caused it to blink. After the boom straightened itself out, a red flasher flew up from the boat. It flew to Bowen at its usual leisurely pace, at this point in time, I was almost beyond surprise at seeing a UFO fly up from a tug. Other things that line had me wondering. Several times a red flasher came up from somewhere south or Keats or the Paisley group and went to Bowen Island. It landed very close to a lit up house on the side of the hill. In daylight, I tried to get a better look at the place from Eastbourne. It was a white house in a small cleared area. Whoever lived there must have been the only winter resident on that side of Bowen, for there was no other light except an occasional weekend. Mr. Wainwright, who operated the water taxi at Marina in the cove further south to Bowen, knew who lived in the White House when I asked. The man who lived there was a traveling salesman. How could UFOs keep landing in his yard without his knowing, and why were they going there? Mm-hmm. Huh? Traveling salesman. Of... Perfect right. cover for... For an alien. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, he's only there on the weekends, but like that's I think the the thing here too is like of course we don't have this traveling salesman's per- perspective, but like Bernice is giving them attention in, in her own way. You know, like oh, yeah. she's she's already initiated it. So like uh, as if you're coming off of this thinking that it's an animal, so it, it's going to, of course, be interested in her and, you know, what she's doing and, uh, you know, just trying to keep tabs on everything. So it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. And like, you know, it, it I, I totally get that, though, like that kind of response, because it's like these UFOs are being seen. So these like tugboats are not manned from the way that she describes them they're just kind of heading on their path and mm-hmm. um you know again that isolation just kind of comes into play because like she's also looking to see you know who's there who's still living there on you know around these islands yeah. at, the, at this time and like it's almost kind of like a desperate thing and then it it, it uh, presents itself as well, why isn't this guy experiencing this? Why is it only me? Yeah. 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 Like, is anyone else seeing this shit? Come on. Yeah. Which, like, which is totally like a perfectly normal reaction when, you know, you've had these like kind of encounters and like 
you're reaching out and you're trying to find someone who has seen what you've seen and, and such like that. And like, you know, I'm, I'm of the belief and a lot of people are that like, that will lead people to kind of like in that cargo culty kind of way, they will try to manifest uh, and bring those UFOs back by like faking UFO sightings and shit. So like, mm-hmm. It's like there are certain cases where it definitely seems to be like the the catalyst for it. There's um, a, a case from this same year of a uh, this young Boy Scout. His name is Ronnie Hill. He's living in North Carolina. And he claimed that after he came home from school one day and like this kid's like bright. He's like, um he's he's part of a bunch of clubs in school boy scout like just really um like a bright and involved kid and he talked about how um he had this ufo sighting in his backyard in uh, on this hill and he claimed to take a photograph of it and if you look at the photograph and i can actually send it to you cuz i think i have it i could send it to you in the chat um, pretty sure I have a copy on my computer. But uh yeah, this, this kid Ronnie Hill, he um sees this UFO and he just he sees an alien being coming out of it and like kind of moving around awkwardly and stuff, and um he uh takes a picture of it, or he claims to take a picture of it, and it when you look at the picture all right here we go i'll be it's oh boy your your impression of this photograph looking at it what does it look like to you (laughs) (laughs) you watched my face yes (laughs) it looks like a little figurine made out of tinfoil yep something yeah yeah um that that ball in the background is supposed to be its craft, but like it, it looks like a baseball. Yeah, exactly. And a, it and looks a tinfoil figure. Yes. Uh some people have speculated that it it's like a bald Barbie doll that they wrapped in tinfoil. Yeah. So like <laughs> Ronnie Hill is this bright kid and he claims to see this uh ufo john keel investigated this case and he basically said no this is you know this is a hoax and yet because ronnie hill is such a you know trustworthy kid i think he saw what he claims he saw i don't think the photograph proves it i think the photograph is him trying to trying to recreate it or something trying to recreate it in like um you know like Hey, this is what I saw. Like, this is, you know, like what happened to me. And, yeah. you know, you could like you could see that in certain UFO witnesses where it's like, if I show you a photograph, it's like it actually happened. And I think that's that's you know what it's what it's getting at, you know. Right. He had felt compelled to provide some evidence, so he created it. Yep. Yeah. And like, sure, it's you know, one of those kind of hoaxed cases that really probably does indicate that something did happen. But like, you know, like with most UFO cases today, like 
video and and photographic evidence isn't really going to convince anybody because it can be easily faked today so like it's just one kid trying to justify what he had seen in the only way that he knew how and that's like hey take a photograph that's how you prove things but um you know um like again that 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 desperation of trying to get some kind of confirmation that what you have seen is like real and that other people have seen it and stuff. And like, really all the only confirmation that she's got is like random offhand statements from people, um, from those hydro men, from the police and from like the, the newspaper. It's like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and like, she's in the midst of it and she's never experienced it before. And like these folks are giving her a response as if to say, this is nothing new. It's just kind of typical. May 2nd had been on the North beach collecting bark on my way home along the road. I saw two men coming up the path from my cabin. One was the boss Hydra man in his neat coveralls. The other was a different younger man of about 19 to 20. As I entered the path, the boss man indicated with his hand for the young man to get behind him. They got well off the path and waited for me. The young man a little behind his boss. The fellow stared at the fellow stared at me as if I was some kind of freak. I'm quite ordinary looking, really. <laughs> she just had to tell us that. I yeah. swear to God, I am not a freak. No. I really look, I look normal. Like, you know, this is, this is we don't know. Much, right. We don't know what Bernie's that she could be a talking ear of corn for all we know. Right. I tend to wonder if Bernie Sniblet is actually her real name at this point, but you yeah. know, it's, uh, just seems a little too good to be true, but like, you know, right. that's, that's fine. Uh, the boss said he'd been thinking of me and had come to see if I was all right. After replying that I was fine, etc., and because of the young man's intense stare, I remarked that he had a new helper. The boss smiled at the young fellow with a protective air and merely said, yes. When I asked the young man how he liked his new job, he seemed to take the question quite seriously. Without smiling and with a little bow, he replied, fine. Wow, just a little bow. Yeah. <laughs> Much to my regret, I didn't ask them to tea, but I knew the stove would be out. The cabin was in a mess, and I was dog tired. Next I love day, that. I yeah, start using dog tired. Exactly, like it, it's a phrase that needs to come back because uh, you know what? We're all dog tired at this point. That's true. <laughs> Next day, went to the road to pick up some bark I dropped there. I saw a jeep slowly approaching. When it came to the end of the road, it stopped and four men jumped out. They were hydro men inspecting lines from the moving jeep. Very human, carelessly dressed, workaday men, none in coveralls. The boss wasn't obviously so. They expressed no surprise at seeing me there, no concern or any particular interest. I told them... Two of their men already had been around the day before inspecting the lines. They assured me yesterday's men weren't hydro men, that somebody had been pulling my leg. 
I described the former men to make sure and also told them that they had been around before. These men didn't know them. I found out, too, that the Jeep was parked at the Baptist camp for the use of the meter reader, telephone repairmen, and hydro repairmen. The other hydro men hadn't come in a Jeep. I should have asked these real hydro men if they checked the lines all the way to Powell River, as the boss had said on the first visit, but I didn't think of it soon enough. The possibilities as to who the first men were dawned as something I'd been too dense to see before. What with seeing a red flasher leave a tug and others going to a house on Bowen Island, I think a number of UFO people are among us, and they include those phony Hydra men. Yeah. Um, so, so, like are these aliens or are these like, what if these UFOs could take alien form? Like I'm going to think about that a lot now. Yeah. What if they shapeshift? Mm-hmm. You know, what if the same thing, what if they're the same thing, the man yeah. and the ship? Yep. Just also, I do think that she was in their spot. That was their cabin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Oh, there's someone here. Well, maybe we should just go check on her to see if she's still there and, and you know, make sure she's okay. And if she's she's not there, we'll just take over. We'll just uh move on in there. Um Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, every human is different. We expect it. So when we exchange a word or two with someone whose phraseology is different or who has an accent, we only wonder what country he's from, not what planet. Maybe that's a mistake. <laughs> Every time someone talks to me in a different accent, I'm I'm definitely gonna think to myself, "Hey, might not be human." Like, no, no, yep. Bernice, no to those last two sentences. Yep. But it is fun. <laughs> it is fun. I did have an acquaintance that I met through my podcast. Uh, I like to talk to him because sometimes he says really wacky out there things who yeah. was suggesting to me that my neighbors might not be human. And while I don't believe that, that's fun. <laughs> so I'm like, tell me what, what are they? Oh, they're right. aliens. Oh, okay. Sure. They just like move in and they blend in. Um, what if they are though? Right. And what that's, that's going to make you wonder, you know, they, they could be, they could be anything. They could be just normal people, but they could also, this Man, is why it's could, important to know your neighbors. It, yeah, to to a certain extent. I, yeah, I not agree. too close, but just like be on a on a friendly basis. If you have an emergency, yep. or something where you need help, it's good to so know I your think, neighbors. Yeah. So there was like um, there was a uh, there was a follow up article that I sent you that uh, kind of touches briefly on. Um, the uh, the the craft the crafts that Bernice had seen and particularly these barrel shaped UFOs because there's a the couple of different yes the uh, quote unquote red flashers and uh, what's interesting and what her original story doesn't indicate is that and what they say in that follow up article is that when one of these barrel shaped objects passed over her she said it sounded like it was laughing which is like 
again like an interpretation it's not unusual that like you know you know people have reported hearing like strange things like that there were reports in in around this time in like uh norway and finland of people hearing like like voices moving over the sky no visible craft Mm. but just like voices in the air so like uh you know that like that's that's an interesting aspect to it i like Um, to think it was like a crusty the clown laugh right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i would would attempt to do one do you dare me (laughs) uh yes (laughs) that's what it did (laughs) yeah that's that's totally it that's totally it um but yeah, um, scare me too. That's, that's yeah, scary. It, it it's scary as hell. Um, if you heard that from a UFO, but uh, uh, according to the article, Bernice eventually moved to a place called Gibson, British Columbia. So she she got the hell out of there, and I don't really blame her. But um, yeah, somewhere with more people. Yeah, but uh, there were two objects noted very similar to what. Uh, Bernice had seen um, and the first is the Rosalotti Sanina landing case of 1954 and we kind of brief we we touched upon this in I think it was episode 105 or Euphonome's episode but um, we'll uh, we'll recount this uh, I got a little summary here um, at uh, 6 30 a.m. on November 1st 1954 Rosalotti a mother of four had set out that morning to gather carnations she needed to make an altar for uh, Madonna Pellegrina. She, when she had entered a clearing, she saw a small barrel shaped uh, object that resembled a spindle, approximately six feet long sitting on the ground. Uh, It resembled kind of two bells joined in the center and kind of just like wrapped in this like bronze kind of metal it's an interesting looking craft when you um see the the images and it looks like a plumb bob the thing that floats mm-hmm. on top of characters heads in the sims yeah the green thing on their heads except sort yep. of with the top and bottom cut off so that instead of being pointy it's flat yeah on the top and bottom but it's plumb bob shaped yep it is plumb bob shaped and uh two beings who were quote almost like men but the size of children uh, stepped from behind the object. They were just a meter or 3.3 feet tall, and their faces were friendly with expressions caught in a sort of eternal smile. They wore one-piece gray coveralls that uh, covered the feet. Completing the ensemble was a cloak and doublet, uh, which were fashioned with buttons that resembled shining stars, trousers that looked like long underwear, and a helmet on each of their heads, like Dapper. These are dapper um, euphonauts. Yeah, they're all shiny and silver. Yeah. Yeah. And little capes. Oh, my God. The capes. Yeah. The capes are just like more uh, aliens listening to this podcast. Please start appearing in more capes. It would yeah. ease the tension every time if you were just wearing a cape. Like, it, Given how big Marvel is... Mm-hmm. just wear a cape we'll, we'll be more friendly to you a lot of people will be oh it's a superhero yeah exactly yeah. we're we're happy to meet with you if you wear a cape totally <laughs> i'm speaking yeah. for the entirety of humanity right now we will meet with you if you put on a cape <laughs> i'll wear one too it'll be a cake yeah. party 
exactly exactly uh they attempted to talk to rosa but she couldn't understand what they were saying claiming that their language resembled mandarin one of the beings uh kind of laughed and kept laughing and in a quick swift motion snatched the carnations that she was carrying away from her as well as a black stocking that she'd been holding uh, kind of like a bank transaction she returned they returned two carnations before taking the rest over and putting them inside the barrel-shaped craft. The being then took hold of a package inside the ship and looked as if uh, he was going to present it to Rosa. But before they could, she took off and ran, thinking that the being was about to take her picture. I get it. I get yeah. it. I don't have any pictures of myself as a kid for, for this I reason. Right. Like, I would run you know, away. Run away. No. No, but I no, want to know you. what presents they were going to give her. Exactly. Like, what? It, what is the black box? And, like, the black box is kind of a... Um, it's a theme um, in, in UFOs. Like, uh, oh, What's interesting is this other article describes it as two white circular packages. Right, right. There are, there are kind of conflicting reports. Black box and white circle are exact opposites symbolically to me right so that's a very notable difference between accounts of the same exact event right and um black box is like saturn right (laughs) and (laughs) and like uh trying to remember for the um article that I pulled for the episode that it, that this was originally included in. I, it was a later article, so like yeah. things things were changed in it. So uh-huh. it might have been a right? white package, but like the black That's box a- theme comes up over and over again because, um, you know, with this case, uh, the uh, 1970 uh, Imyarvi elf case in which. Uh, two cross-country skiers um had a ufo encounter and from this ufo came down this little elf this is the best way to describe it had a hook nose on it had this black box and this black box flashed and it kind of looked like a camera like a kind of like an old school kind of camera and just kind of big and bulky and um there are other cases in which UFOs are said to have dropped black boxes. So it's like, it kind of seems to be a theme that that comes up over and over again, but um, it's familiar. It's familiar. But um, the thing is, is um, there's a second incident involving a barrel shaped object that occurred in New Hampshire uh, on Saturday evening, May 13th, 1972 in Canterbury. Four boys were sleeping under a a partially constructed chicken coop in an open field. Around 9.40 p.m., a star appeared in the sky, kind of like, you know, Bernie's here in their first experience, and looked like it was on fire. The object started to descend slowly in their direction. The four jumped out of their sleeping bags and moved to the edge of the field to get a better view. To quote the NICAP report, which was compiled by Ray Fowler, Quote, one of the youngsters used his father's flashlight and aimed it at the approaching object. Then, according to the youngsters, the object did something very strange. 
It suddenly and yet very smoothly, like a falling, floating balloon, descended in a sideways zigzag manner. The objects slowed down even more and settled over the top over top of the children who then ran home to notify the parents of what had just happened from the front door. These adults could see a slow moving white and red flashing light moving away at a low altitude over a swamp across the street and described a sound similar to that of a jet. The sound was heard by other adults in the neighborhood as well around the same time that night, and one of them even claimed to see lights and what looked like exhaust coming from the UFO. Quote, the boys asked individually to describe the object they had reported, said it looked like an octahedron-shaped object that appeared to be tilted at a 45-degree angle as it moved across the open field. It had four pipe-like legs with rounded pads affixed to the end of each leg. A bright white light on its forward-moving side seemed to turn to the, turn on them, and according to the witnesses, lit up the chicken coop and the surrounding area. As the, as the object passed directly over them, they observed a flashing red light on the object's trailing side. A fiery 10-foot-long exhaust appeared beneath the object, according to the youngsters. The exhaust, they reported, seemed to change colors as if they were switching from one color to another. The youngsters described a number of bright silver inverted U-shaped cable-like things sticking into the top of the object as well. So there's kind of like a similarity there in, in the way that the craft kind of behaved in, in mm-hmm. what Bernice had experienced. So like... Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It is interesting. Mm-hmm. And like the the sketch of this uh craft, which is that one sketch that's in the report, is like it's a cool looking craft. It's kind of like yeah, it's definitely barrel shaped. It's got so it kind of almost looks like a, a a tall kind of lunar lander in a way. Um, just like kind of like laying on its side though, instead of upward. Um, but yeah, that's just, that's this case, you know, that's, uh, what a nifty case it was. I, right. I saw some interesting shaped UFOs. Right. In the sketches, like the barrel, the plum bob UFO. Mm -hmm. I've seen a banana and a hamburger UFO, but not a plum bob. No, that was new. Right. You're, you're, you're like getting all new shapes when it comes to (laughs) UFOs lately. True. Because I sent you two two hamburger UFO cases. <laughs> why are there so many? Right. And and the big question is why are the patties on those hamburgers so damn thin? God. <laughs> Not even a good burger either. No, like mm. like somehow inferior to like a McDonald's patty. It's just somehow. Yeah. 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 But yeah, like UFOs come in all weird kind of shapes and sizes and like and also got... your neighbors are aliens. Yeah, that's that's just how it is. Your neighbors your, are aliens. Your water guys, they're you know, mm-hmm. make sure they're right. actually from the company. Exactly. Do you need to vet that ahead of time? Like you really gotta get in there, ask the important questions, 
and don't don't take their bullshit you just like get to the bottom of it you gotta do what you gotta do i know Mm -hmm. you're an alien i know you are until they call the cops on you and then accuse them of being aliens too see what happens right and i think what's interesting there is like it's not the first interaction that she believes them to be aliens it's the second interaction and there's that young kid who's acting kind of weird and like yes uh, master yes like yeah just like some kind of weird thing so like is this a close encounter of the third kind case is this like a a close encounter of um the second kind maybe like yeah yeah it did, what is it, it right it's it's tough to say now because like we have these mysterious men and we don't know if they were men or aliens or not. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where like this case is, is like, it's, it's in the void of possibility for, for a lot of things. There's a lot of speculation left on the table, but again, at the end of it, it's just this really unique perspective of living in a nest of UFOs. (laughs) right yeah how privileged to get to like it's like some people wait their entire lives to see a ufo she just unintentionally puts herself right in the middle of a hot spot yeah and just lives there isolated for a winter and now we have like this lovely story that was printed in canadian ufo report and uh like uh i i am i'm so thankful that i found the story and i'm so thankful that you came on to uh present the story to everybody else so uh thank you again for joining me for this episode um yeah thanks for having me if you want to check out the nonsense bizarre we're everywhere on all the streaming things you are indeed everywhere uh, and you should totally listen. <laughs> you should totally listen to the Nonsense Bazaar. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, definitely one of my go-to pods every week. Uh, oh, thank helps, you. Yes, helps make those Wednesdays like that much more tolerable. Yeah, um, Wednesday is a rough day. We thought of, that that's a good day to release a, a pod. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh, as for us here at the Our Strange Skies podcast, you can find us on most podcasting apps. If you want to follow us on social media, buy some merch, or find a link to our Patreon page, head on over to OurStrangeSkies.com, and you can find all of that. And, you know, a fantastic digital resource page. So if you want to get lost in rabbit holes like I did and find stories like this, you can do that through the resources page. A lot of great stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um I have uh, I haven't even talked about this yet. Um, so I have uh, a new project. Uh, by now, it's like a month old at this point, but um, uh, that I do with my good buddy Todd Purse, who was uh, you know past guest. He did, he was on our uh, Puerto Rican episode. Uh, it's called Welcome UFO People, and you know once a month we put out a five panel comic depicting you know UFO cases, kind of like this one. Um, some of them you may have have heard before like the first one that we did on the Apollo Satano Silvera case we did in the um uh, Brazil episode the last Brazilian episode that we did so 
Um, we've been putting out these five panel comics um, once a month uh, for the last two months. So um, uh, the new one just dropped uh, yesterday uh, about a man named Dan Duggleby and his encounter with some uh, robots in the hills of Bozeman, Montana. So uh, if you want to check those out, we have a Twitter account uh, at welcome UFO peeps and our Instagram account for it is uh, welcome UFO people. We'll, Put a description and put it in the description and we release high-res versions uh of these on our patreon pages so we'll link to that as well so uh if you want to see really cute depictions of ufo incidents in a in a comic form we got you covered that's what we're doing now uh, we do that once a month and uh they're so great so you should totally check that out and um yeah uh our Strange Skies is a proud member of the Duvid Media family. And uh, special thanks to Floats for the use of our theme song, UFO. Uh, and go check out his stuff. It's just, it's great. Um, the song is from an album that is called Not an Album. And uh, it's really good. And it's funny because it is an album, but it's called Not an Album. But you should totally go check it out. Uh, Spencer Worth Davis is the man behind the curtain for this podcast. And our logo was designed by Megan Lagerberg. And the great Desda Bona has done many of our t-shirt designs. So if you dig those, she did a lot of them. And uh, finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or out your front window on Keats Island. In gray, we trust. Yeah.